welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 43. Thanks for tuning in today. Joining me on the show is Monique Jelks. Now, Monique and I are talking about communication. She has some great insight that I really think you'll find interesting. Breaking news, folks. Well, breaking news if you haven't seen the email notification yet. Isham membership votes to change the association's name to Healthcare Sterile Processing Association. So this is big news, big change for the organization. From June 22nd to July 12th, 2021, members of the International Association of Healthcare Central Service Material Management, Isham, cast their votes in regards to the proposed name change from ISHM to Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA. Along with that, the tagline, Professionals Instrumental to Patient Safety. Now, upon reviewing the certified results from a third-party voting service provider, Survey and Ballot Systems, the association's board of directors is pleased to announce that 82.3% of the voting members voted in favor of the name change. A two-thirds yes vote by members who voted was needed for the name to change. So guess what? You guys did it. You guys passed. An overwhelming majority of you thought that the organization should move forward, and that's great. Now, the switch from Isham to HSPA will officially take effect January 1st, 2022. The association will continue as it always has to represent professionals internationally, and the certification credentials are going to remain the same. So nothing's going to change with your CRCST, your CHL, CER, or CIS. Now, in the coming weeks and months, the association will be updating its logo, uh, corporate documents, and the marketing material, all to reflect the new name, and it's going to continue communicating with the membership throughout this entire process. But hey, you know what? You still may have some questions, and if you do, you know, any questions can be emailed to processingchange at isham.org. Again, that's processingchange at isham.org. So big thanks to the Isham Board of Directors uh, for taking charge and uh, really moving this organization forward uh, through this name change process. Now, I again, I think this is great news and I really do think that it will be good for the organization.
Now, let's not waste any more time and let's get right into our interview with Monique. Monique, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining the Isham Nation on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So today, like I said, we are talking to Monique, and we're talking about the article she wrote in the Process Magazine. So in that objective, in that first objective in the article, you talked about different types of communication challenges that exist in sterile processing. And one of those challenges really begins with the loaner tray that needs to be ready for the department, but there is insufficient notice and insufficient time to process the tray. So essentially, the tray arrives the day of surgery and is needed for like that first case. So can you walk us through how someone handles that situation and really talk about those conversations that need to take place? Absolutely. So the, the article that I wrote about communication challenges really outlines communication that evolves around what's considered realistic expectation and, and lack of knowledge. So a lot of times faced with loaner trays, we have the unrealistic expectation that we're going to have some instruments ready and available within an hour of the time that they're dropped off. So a lot of times loaner trays will come and we don't even have an idea that they're needed. To have a loaner tray come at 6 a.m. in the morning and surgery starts at 7.30, that's an unrealistic expectation that we're going to have it done. The most important thing at that time is, is not to place blame or to continue to sit back and argue about why do we have these loaner trays. Our focus must always be on the patient. What does that patient need right now? And so we know that we can't produce the sets in an hour, but we definitely can communicate the realistic expectation of when we can have the loaner trays ready so that we're not looking at a situation where the patient is on the table and now we need instrument trays. So you also talked about, and this is a, an ever too familiar situation, the patient's on the table and there's this urgent need for an instrument. You know, when these situations happen, what type of follow-up is really needed? Right. So the patient on the table, that could be uh, no fault of anyone. Sometimes things just don't happen as they are planned to happen in surgery. So follow-up is crucial. This type of follow-up can be as simple as a phone call. Do you guys have everything you need in that operating room? And sometimes making a phone call can add stress to an operating room. So just to walk to the OR and visit to keep your head in the door to say, hey, is there anything else that you all need? What can I get you instrument-wise? That sometimes alleviates a lot of stress off of a very hectic surgery where things have changed or have uh, gone different from plan and you need something else new. I would encourage all technicians, even leaders of sterile processing, that when you have that true urgent patient on the table situation, that you do prepare to follow up and be prepared to deviate from from what you provided originally to something different. Now, this next situation that you mentioned really hits home, not only to me, but I'm sure most of our listeners out there, and it deals with that insufficient inventory. Now, the example you use in the article is a very efficient surgeon, you know, doing several procedures back to back, but not having enough sets for every procedure. What type of conversations need to take place in this type of situation? 
<laughs> so these, these are the, this is not just a conversation that needs to happen, but this is also some data collection that needs to happen within pretty much all sterile processing departments. I, I think in the article, I gave a, a, an analogy of a tonsil set. So you have 15 tonsil cases scheduled and you only have 10 tonsil sets. Well, now you have five sets that you need to turn over quickly in order to meet the need for surgery demands that day. Now, every time you turn over a set, that's one set that you're not making readily available for the day or for the next day surgery. So this puts a, a stress and a strain on the productivity of the day for serial processing. So serial processing departments need to have these conversations continually with the OR leadership team to say, hey, every time we schedule more than 10 council trades, we are strapped for getting other things ready. We don't have enough staff. We really struggle. And the possibilities of a delayed case is great because we're hustling to get things done. Also, the possibility of error is great because we're moving too quickly and too fast to get things done. When I say data collection, this is the sterile processing leadership or any emerging leader within sterile processing just to take data inventory of how often this happens. How often does it happen if it's not tonsil sets, maybe it's a, a spine set, whatever set it is that you feel like uh, cysto sets, whatever set it is that you feel like you're constantly turning over. This needs to be proven to the leadership team so that you can uh, communicate what purchases are needed or how many more sets you need versus how much more staff you need. This particular situation is really about the inventory. So collect the data and then communicate. So another example in the article uh, really addresses the creative and names the different names that folks assign to <laughs> instrumentation and there's some good ones out there yeah can you explain how this can lead to a breakdown in communication oh my god this is this is a, a in every sterile processing department we have uh where i am located what we call a blue twinkie which is a great <laughs> one-sided speculum that's that's coated uh blue so that we don't injure patients during laser procedures. It's it's for laser procedures. And so one day, uh, someone from the OR was asking for a blue Twinkie. No one knew uh, what that was. And when we discovered it, it wind up being a lot of education. In these situations, it's just kind of hard because the OR has their language, sterile processing has their language, but I would encourage every single sterile processing technician, when you get that call for the blue Twinkie or the teeny weeny, I worked at a facility where they called an arm retractor a teeny weeny. So maybe you can <laughs> drill it down. <laughs> maybe you can drill it down by asking the question, is it a retractor? Is it a clamp? Is it an elevator? What type of instrument is it used for first? Is it a retractor? Is it a clamp? Then you ask, what service are you in? Are you in general surgery? Are you in GYN surgery? Are you what service are you? What procedure are you doing? Name the procedure. And, and this a lot of times will help facilitate more quickly uh, what the room and the patient needs. 
kind of got to do some investigation to drill down what they're really <laughs> asking for, right? <laughs> exactly. I found this next question really interesting because in the article, you really speak to two different questions that are often asked during an interview process. And those questions are, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Can you talk about how asking these two questions can relate to communication? Yeah. So I believe in asking in an interview, and I don't say strengths and weaknesses, even though that is exactly what I wrote, uh, because most people ask that question. Mm -hmm. What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? I like to ask, what do people like about you and what are you working on for yourself? Right. When you ask people about what they do well, sometimes they they quickly tell you about it. And other times when they say your weaknesses or what don't you do well or particular, what concerns do you think people have about you? When an individual cannot answer either one of these questions, I see that as a red flag of being not so self-aware of who you are. And when you're working and processing the amount of stress that you could be faced with in a day, you're going to have to be self-aware of your triggers, what motivates you and what demotivates you. If you don't, if you're not self-aware, then you can't step back within yourself and redirect your energy. If you don't know that this is the thing that irritates me, or if you don't know that you perform a certain way under certain types of pressure, then it's going to be hard to leave you. It's going to be hard for anyone to tell you that, hey, you know, you kind of rubbed me the wrong way or, you know, I don't like what you said that day. If you get in a, a operating room staff that is extremely frustrated and they're calling with all kind of frustration and you don't have that self-awareness about yourself, it's going to be hard for you to manage the situation and it's going to be hard for you to rebound from the situation. One thing I like to say about sterile processing technicians are very good ones is that they are resilient in the fact that they can face a lot of stress and then turn around the next day and come back to work as though the previous day didn't happen. It, it is the most unusual group of, of individuals to work with because the stress is so high. But you can only perform that way consistently every day. If you are self-aware of your triggers and how you perform in these stressful situations. So I encourage everyone take take a card, a index card, one of those uh, packs of uh, Bowie Dick cards or <laughs> the little cardboard that come out of the, uh, the challenge pack, the uh, BI challenge pack. And write on one side of them uh, three things about yourself that you like and that others like about you. What are you, what is the area about yourself that's great? This is not about how you look. <laughs> this is not about how you dress, but your character. What is it about you that you think is awesome and you know that other people like, right? And then flip that card over and write three things about yourself that you know you need to work on. I tend to think when people can't write the things that they need to work on, they tend to be a little arrogant and think that they don't make mistakes. And sometimes, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we do have people like that in our work environment, no matter what work environment you're in. So I challenge technicians to do this and then self-reflect on how they manage and handle the stress of their day. Who stresses you out at work? 
and why do they stress you out at work, right? What brings you joy at work and why does that bring you joy at work? These will help to manage your day, uh, day stressors and focus more on why you're there at work. And that is to make sure the patients are safe. They get on that operating room table and they get off successfully. In the article, you also make this statement. If there were such a thing uh, called the standards, the Ten Commandments of Effective (laughs) Communication, which I love, uh, listening accurately and attentively would be that first commandment on the list. Can you talk about this statement? Yeah. So a a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, if you could, if you, if I could go back to the last question and say, you know, what are my areas of developmental concern is that sometimes I'm too quick to respond. People are speaking. And let me tell you, I will sometimes cut people off midway because I think I know what they're getting ready to say. That is a very, very bad habit of mine. I am constantly working on it because I'm a very hyper individual. But as I get older, I'm learning that I'm calming down just a little bit. <laughs> so in that, in, that ten, in that Ten Commandments, listening accurately is the first one. It is the one that I'm personally working on. It's to hear out what's being asked, what's being stated. Listen fully and completely, right? And in this, you understand what is going on. You weed out all of the fluff and you focus on what's being stated that you can do to help. And it should always go back to what the patient needs. So listening intently and accurately for what the patient needs. That's key. There are often times in sterile processing when a situation can be stressful or extremely hectic. Why is it so important? And I think you touched upon this in in the earlier question. Why is it so important to control your emotions when communicating during these times? You know, our emotions, they can be dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely right. They can be dangerous. uh, They can be toxic or they could be a blessing in a department. So just depending on what emotion you're receiving, what emotion you're getting revved up in you based on a call, based on the hectic situation that you're dealing with, that emotion that's boiling over in you could boil over into the department. Not only are you stressed out and irritated, now you have brought that energy to the department. I, I would caution every leader, if you're ever called to the operating room and you are just getting a tongue lashing for whatever reason, uh, maybe sterile processing is not even at fault, and that's the worst. But when when sterile processing is at fault, and you need to go address the concern with the with your department or a certain technician, I would say before you get on that elevator to go downstairs or down the hall or wherever your sterile processing department is, self reflect on the energy that you're taking back, because remember we need to motivate our staff. I say we build in sterile processing 7,000, 8,000 sets in a month, Mm. okay? On a daily average, we could build 600 sets in a day with ease. In one tray out of 600, we make a mistake. Mm -hmm. What kind of energy are you bringing back to a team who hustled so hard to get it right 
and then they made a mistake. Mistakes aren't on purpose. That's not what technicians intend to do. So how do you provide communication, corrective communication without demotivating individuals? So those emotions are key to success and sterile processing. How you display those emotions can make or break your department. So dealing with that hectic situation, I say take a long walk back to the department. <laughs> <laughs> Bring some calm to yourself and then convey the situation. And I always say give praise first because if if you if you're getting that bad report, go back if you have a tracking system and you can pull it up to see how much work that individual did that day. It could be that they did a, a record number of sets and that might be why there was a mistake. You just never know why. Uh, but I would say be mindful of the emotional energy <laughs> after a stressful situation. So last question for you today, Moni. You mentioned several times in the article follow-up communication. Can you explain why follow-up communication is such an important aspect? Absolutely. Follow-up communication, that tells us, that tells the person that you're communicating with first that you care, second, that you did what you said you were going to do, and third, that you are ready to fix whatever situation is if it wasn't correct. So when we follow up, we're looking to see whether our initial work was successful. So follow-up doesn't always have to be about uh, a patient being on the table, okay? Follow-up could simply be that something went wrong in a particular day or at a particular time, and you put together a process to fix it. So now you want to follow up to make sure that people who receive poor service are going to receive better service. And that these are the action plans that you put in place so that we don't have that same experience. Follow-up doesn't necessarily mean right away and in that day. But as soon as you resolve the issue or concern, you want to close the loop and say, hey, I heard what you had to say. We want to make sure that patients are taken care of. And so this is what we're going to do to make sure that doesn't happen. It's follow-up. Well, thank you, Monique, for sharing with us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monique, again for speaking with us today. Well, episode 43 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code 82, as in 82% of voting members voted to change the organizational name. Again, the code for this episode is 82. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.